right, let's hear it again for our kids. Also, our, uh, our uh, uh, N2 worship band today, can we hear it for them using their talents? So cool to look up and see uh, people developing and using their talents and growing and then being used already and setting a kind of a life theme for them, right? A precedent in their own life to uh, know what that is. So <clears throat> the story sets the scene kind of for the idea of what we want to talk about today. Remember, faith acts. That's, whole, that's James' whole purpose for writing is, guys, this faith that you have experienced it's far more than now I'm just, I'm in this group and I have these sets of beliefs and I identify as this. This faith that you have encountered in Jesus Christ is a transforming faith that cannot help but just come out of you. Like it, it, it leads the way on your actions. It changes the way you think. And then, out of your thinking, you just begin to act in these ways that this faith is, is shown to be living and active and transforming. Faith in Jesus Christ is a game changer. It's a life changer. If you look at your life and say, well, I look at it up until this point, and I started to believe this stuff, follow this stuff, but I really don't see a change of life, then James would say, hey, you need to go back and visit and try to understand whether you really came into relationship with Jesus. Because there is no relationship with Jesus that does not become living, active, and transforming. Amen? amen. I had to hear a really big amen on that. Because we really are having this tension in our whole culture today with this. And faith acts. That's why James is so relevant 2,000 years later. But here's what we want to see, how faith acts in today's section of James. Okay, Chip, James is saying this. What does it look like? And here's how he starts in on chapter 2 uh, with these words. My brothers and sisters. <laughs> uh, James is kind of, uh, kind of uh, you'll see this if you read the book. As soon as he says, my brothers and sisters, um, it's like, He's about ready to say something kind of hard, right? Uh, you ever have that with your parents or with the boss? Uh, the whole sandwich approach or something, say something good. Then you're going to say something hard and then you're going to finish. So, you know, like, you know, as soon as he said, my brothers and sisters, get ready. He's getting ready to say something that you really need to hear that he's concerned about. And this is what he says. Believers in our glorious, all these words are intentional. Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The King James and some of the other, it, it, it must not show partiality. Right? Favoritism is a word that we grab a hold of in our culture. This favoritism, it's a word, it's a plural word. The root of the word means to lift up someone's face. To, to, uh, to make judgments and distinctions based on external considerations, such as physical appearance, social status, race. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must, imperative command, must not show favoritism. In fact, it's this idea of don't hold 
the Christian faith and partiality at the same time. It is inconsistent with one another. And he uses this word, glorious Lord Jesus. He introduces this idea of the glory. Remember, uh, John says, we beheld his glory. Uh, Jesus is the glory of God. The glorious Lord Jesus. Now, to a Jewish person, as they think about the word glory, uh, it is equated with the divine presence of God. They would know what that meant. Glory was in the Shekinah, in the temple. Glory was in the garden uh, uh, at the beginning. Glory was in the tabernacle. It was in the temple then. Glory, it's this idea of the very presence of God. This sacred, sacred symbol or idea or concept or even experience. And he's saying, listen, the very presence of God is not compatible with when we show favoritism. It doesn't coexist. Uh, the scriptures have, have, have already plowed this ground, so to speak, right? In the Old Testament, you see this worldview for the Jewish people shaped by God, where he is consistently telling them not to show favoritism among yourself. Uh, this, this phrase is all through scripture that God is not a what? Respecter of persons. That the very core of who God is as a holy creator is someone who is impartial and has created all equal. That's why in the new covenant and the new idea of, of this Jesus kingdom Words like this are used repeatedly. There is neither now no Gentile or Jew, slave or free, you know, male, female. It is all one in Christ. That at the heart of the gospel is this very nature of God who is impartial to anybody, to everybody. Now, I know probably you're sitting there thinking, I don't need to hear this. I don't. I'm not a racist. That would be impartiality, right? Favoritism. That's on our big, that's a national conversation, right? We're having. But I got to tell you, as the Holy Spirit has walked me through this passage this week, and I tend to think I'm impartial. I tend to look at myself or view myself as not showing favoritism. I remember growing up in a home where my mom was very intent on the three of us kids there being no favorites. And really instilling in me and from the examples of scripture that having favorite children just ruins the dynamic of a family. Never works. Not a good story in scripture, right? And so I'm like, but you know, as the Holy Spirit, and it's my prayer today, I can't visit every area where you might show favoritism, but the fallen condition of man tends to lend itself to partiality. This is core to being fallen. And what is core to the kingdom, a transformed life, a faith that is active and living, I know it's in you, 
is God who is impartial creates a people who begin to live lives that, di- that display impartiality. And, you know, and I'm thinking, God, wow, I, I'm seeing a little bit of, of things, areas in my life where I display favoritism. I tend to see certain people in a better light than others. I tend to gravitate in my judgments and then in my actions about things. And I t- I'm telling you, it is core. This is darkness and light, world and kingdom. Partiality is a key component. And James is really tapping down on that. And here's why. He gives this vivid illustration. Now, I, I would say that this is a hypothetical and yet, it, it obviously probably was happening. Um, he exaggerates. It seems like he exaggerates a little bit, like hyperbole, right? Like, none of you do that, right? I definitely do. With my kids, sometimes. <laughs> my wife looked at me this week and was like, yeah, you way over-exaggerated that. Like, some character thing, and I like, you know, this is going to be the end of the world if you don't get this right. A little bit of hyperbole. Trying to make a point, right? Exaggerated for effect. And this is what he says. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and five clothes. Um, As I studied this, we could call this guy the gold-fingered man. Um, Because the idea then was uh, economic status. Was uh, you wore a lot of rings. If people are wearing a lot of rings today, I'm not like, I don't know. You might hold your hand up and you got five. I don't know. Okay. But back then, they even had places where you could rent rings, okay, just to go to a party or something. I guess they do that today, don't they, at the, uh, at the uh, shows or the uh, award banquets. People rent jewelry, right? And I'm amazed, like, I see a headline where somebody wore a $3 million necklace and they rented it. What is that all about? It's just economic status, right? It's all, it's all. And he, so this man comes in, and it's obvious that he's well off. He's got, he's the gold-fingered man. I, I noticed in my study that the only, <laughs> I don't know why this is just a, they wouldn't put a ring on the middle finger. I guess there's just some, you know, even today, we, you know. So they, but they would just put rings all over. And you knew. And um, fine clothes, this word here is loud clothes. Um, bright, shining, loud colors, glittery, sparkling, brilliant with ornamentation. You see a man comes into your church service wearing a gold ring or your assembly. It could mean church. I think it also could mean another social setting as I studied this. Um, But let's just say our assembly. And a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in, smelly, dirty, shabby, He slept in these, he's worked in these, he's not changed these, he's not showered. You get the idea, right? You got two different people coming in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here, like in the, it's still in a synagogue type language, right? Um, This is an early book written, but like you had seats and then people would sit around the wall And you say to the poor man, but you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Faith acts without favoritism. And I'm just praying, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit today, reveal to each one of us where we tend to show partiality. In the walk of the flesh and the Spirit, and living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, I think this is one area that may be a struggle for us. But what shows kingdom people to a broken, fallen world around us is when we become people who treat everybody equally the same. There's something powerful about that. There's something uh, otherworldly about that. There's something transformed about that. It causes people to... Because the world does not do that. We have classes. We have systems. We have all... Right? And I will tell you that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will not look like the kingdoms of this world when it comes. There will be no country clubs. Amen? I remember I got the opportunity one time to, to golf in this, it's, it's on the uh, web.com tour every year. I, I watch it on TV, I'm like, yeah, I played that course, you know. Birdied that hole. What's wrong with that guy? He's got a bogey. Yeah. But I remember walking in the locker room, and let me tell you something. It was 150000 to join the club, and it was about 50000 a year to maintain a membership. You walked in, there was no paper towels. You just washed your hands and you used a real towel because no one in there was going to use paper towels. I, I didn't go into the, the, the stall. I don't know what was going on there. I hope there was paper towels there. You get the idea. And I stood in the middle of that and I thought, this is awesome. I mean, the wood from the lockers just, you know, just washed over you. And then I stood there, and as a believer in Jesus Christ, I got mad. That this is so ridiculous. There's people 10 miles down the road I knew, 10 miles, that are hungry, that are hurting. And I will tell you, the kingdom of Jesus Christ will not look like that when it's established on this earth. There will not be that kind of setting. And we as people, you know, I couldn't get in there unless I was invited. I played it, and the next day I wanted so badly to jump the fence and play it again, right? Just pull up on a hole I knew and jump the fence and play it again. But I was, you know, we create these systems and, and these classes and this inequality in so many ways. The world thrives on it. Third world countries exploit and the kingdom of Jesus Christ rises up against it. And he says, I'll tell you what makes you transformed. How faith lives and acts is there is no sense of favoritism, of treating someone better because of their economic status or their social status. There is no name dropping in the kingdom of heaven. There is no seeing somebody as better than somebody else. It's all the same. 
every person is uniquely created in the image of God and is equally valuable to God. Amen? This is in our wheelhouse, right? I think I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir. But again, Lord, continue deep in my heart to shed away a tendency for me to overlook someone because I can tell inherently that maybe they're not as well off or they, 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 their social behavior is a little bit awkward or they're, you know, how, God, can I look and see people the same? And out of that, God, help me to treat everybody as Jesus Christ did without favoritism. Now, one thing I want you to notice here is that he says that, have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And again, the idea is conduct is a a fruit of our thinking, of our heart. That these worldly heathen thought patterns have established strongholds in our minds. That that's the way we tend to treat others better than somebody else. It's worldly thinking that has captivated us that Jesus Christ wants to set you free from. It's your thinking that needs to change. And then out of that, as he changes your thinking, you begin to see people. And so the battleground for this favoritism, I believe, is in the mind. Is God change my mind, my thinking? And I've been captivated by this verse all week. And maybe this verse is just for me, because this is one of the most important verses in my life. But I want to remind you of this today. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take it, this word is with a spear to take captive. We take that thought and we drive it out of our heart and mind. We don't allow it to stay around. With, like with a spear, there's force. And in all of our thought life, with all different areas, God calls us in our thoughts to take captive every thought, to push it out, to make it obedient to Christ. And even in this area, where we have a tendency to gravitate toward economic success or uh, social status or maybe even race, God forbid, in 2019 that would still be true. We take captive that and we push it out with a spear. We are proactive with it. I will not allow these thinking patterns to live in my mind. I cannot affect what comes into my mind. I can affect what stays in my mind. Amen? Thank the Lord. Because I've had some weird thoughts. I'm thankful for that. But if I dwell on those weird thoughts, right? I can do something about that. And he says that, that, that in this matter of favoritism, we become judges with evil thoughts that our thinking needs to change correct? I don't even know what time I started. What time did I start? Wow. I'll go fast then. 
So this is what Paul says in Romans. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Give you the same attitude toward him so that with one mind and one voice you may what? Glorify this glory, this presence of God, this living in you, active presence of God. May glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another. There is no favoritism. There is no, hey, I need to get that person to come to church because they're a big wheel in our community. Amen? But I am ignoring the neighbor down the street who has no influence. I can't think that way. I think everybody equal the same. Everybody in need of the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. So, moving on. Moving on. It's a flawed perspective. But he says, listen, my dear brother, here it comes again. <laughs> yeah, hey, buddy. <clears throat> listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? Promise those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are not they the ones who are dragging you into court? Are not they the ones who are blaspheming in the noble name of him to whom you belong? I call this part, hello, stupid. Now, poor is not promised the kingdom just because you're poor. All right? This isn't a, a poverty mentality and a poverty gospel. But the reality is, it's always been that the poor, by and large, are a part of the kingdom more than the rich. Because the rich, Jesus clearly articulated this. It's difficult for rich people. Because they end up trusting. They, can't, they, they succumb to this temporary world. And they find their security in this temporary possessions. And they don't find dependence on Jesus Christ. Right? And they can't give up lordship to Jesus Christ. They can't say, okay, God, it's yours. You impress upon me to give away $100,000 right now. I believe the lordship of Jesus Christ does that. Now, I'm not in a position right now to give away $100,000. But if I was, and the Lord impressed me right now, give it to this cause, to this ministry, to this person, he expects me to give it open-handed. To realize it's not even mine anyway. Like, he entrusted it with me, Right? And it's very hard for people to be able to do that, right? It's very hard. And so he says, don't you know, don't look at the kingdom as just a bunch of rich people. The kingdom has always been mostly poor people. How would you discriminate against, and again, he's really focusing on economic status here, right? That's the thing of that particular age. For us, I'm not sure what it is. But there's something where we have a tendency to show favoritism. He said, whatever it is, what makes faith living and active is when you, you flush that. It's gone from your life. Even in this economic status thing. He says, I just want to take a detour for just a moment. When you look at the Old Testament, you see how God provides for the poor. He's mindful for the poor. In the sacrificial system, poor people sometimes couldn't afford a lamb. So God said, if you can't afford a lamb, bring a turtle dove or a pigeon. Every seventh year was the Sabbath year of the land. And poor people had all their debts canceled so that they would not go deeper and deeper into debt. 
in the Jubilee year, 50 year, everybody was set free. All the slaves who worked for someone else were given an opportunity to reorient their whole life. Leviticus reminds us that no one was ever to charge interest to a poor person. You either gave them money or you gave them an interest-free loan. Anything else was usury and was severely punished by God. Anytime a poor person got into debt, Leviticus says a brother could come along and free him from that. He could redeem the indebted poor person. Leviticus indicates that when a poor person was out of a job, the neighbor nearest was to employ that poor person. You see, the mindset of God has always been to be mindful of the poor. Amen? I hope I'm not telling you anything new here. But God has always cared about the poor. You can't read the minor prophets, all those books at the end of the Old Testament. I will tell you that as I read them, as I, I thought the dominating theme coming out of the minor prophets was the people's treatment of the poor. You know, this is a, a major conversation piece right now in our country, right? Are you expecting me to get political? I'm not going to. What I will say is over the next two years, you're going to hear all sorts of promises about things. And one of the conversations is going to be about classes and poor and, and the rich. And, and the, you know, in Jerusalem in that day, it was a, it was a struggle because it is true that there were a certain group of landowners that were getting richer and richer and richer. And there was an evaporating middle class, okay? And all I want to say is as God's people, we are not inclined to favor the rich. We are not inclined to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. We are not inclined to, we are inclined actually as kingdom people to be mindful of the poor. God was, and he calls us to. And he says, don't you know, see this from a different perspective, that just because somebody doesn't have anything doesn't mean that you overlook them or see them as less valuable than someone who is wealthy. We demolish that, right? And if you think I'm going to start talking about socialism or something, we'll go somewhere else. I'm not. I'm just saying that there is a third way. Our political systems today are tricky. And I would say they are not for a Christian to jump into a party with both feet. Because we are kingdom people. We are a third way people. We are biblical. And if there is biblical emphasis that maybe a party seems to kind of highlight or bring attention to, that's what we're about. And I get it. I'm navigating through all this stuff. And yet, I don't care. If you look on my Facebook page, my political party is the kingdom of God. I'm starting a new party. I'm running for president. Okay? Really? <laughs> I just need you to give some money to me. He says, listen, why this is so ridiculous is that when you favor the rich, they're actually the ones that are persecuting you. You're caving to societal pressures and the fallen nature that, oh, and yet, in the scheme of the persecution of the church, economically and religiously, it came from the rich. 
Hello? Don't team up with the world. Don't cave to the world. Don't be intimidated by the world's systems and who it favors. You're a believer. You're a part of a different kingdom. And he finishes this way. If you really keep the royal law, and I think this royal law is kind of a sovereign law. What I mean by that is this law, it can't be appealed. You can't go back and, and change a judgment on this law by appeal. It is the decree, and this word royal carries with it a kingdom, basilica kind of language. This kingdom law, this new thing that's absolute, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin or are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. This is tough language. You see what was happening so often in that day. What he's saying basically is, and he's going to highlight this in a minute, that this sin of favoritism, was, it's so easy for us to do and to overlook it. He said, I want you to remind, that the, remind you that the law is a whole thing. Walking according to Jesus is a whole thing. There's not compartments. I'm really good at this. I do good deeds here. I don't do this. I sin in this way. But my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. It's like with the law. You take a hammer to a sheet of glass, and you hit it in one spot. You break it. But what happens to the whole thing of glass? It shatters. Right? You break the whole thing. It's a shattered pane. He's saying, listen, to God, this idea of favoritism is so important. Look at the examples used. He uses adultery, for he says, you who commit adultery, and you shall not murder. Also say, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Can't pick and choose one of those. I didn't do both. I'm okay. I'm one-to-one, right? I murdered, but I didn't commit adultery one-to-one. No, if you murder, you're like, whoa, you're a lawbreaker. He says, listen, when you do this favoritism thing, you break the law. This relationship with Jesus is one that's holistic in nature. It's not compartmentalized. I love what William Barclay says about this. He says, if I can find it now, the Jew was very apt to regard the law as a series of detached injunctions. To keep one was to gain credit. To break one was to incur debt. Therefore, a man could add up the ones he kept, and subtract the ones he broke. This is religion. This is what religion always does. My good outweighs my bad. I get into heaven because I've done more. I'm pretty much a good person. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand the law of loving someone, loving your neighbor. It's holistic. You can't do five good things to them and then punch them in the gut. Law is a whole thing. We're called to keep it. To speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And so he gives this idea like, whoa, are you kidding me, God? If I show favoritism, I'm a lawbreaker. It's overwhelming. And he finishes this way. Take the seriousness of the law. Take the seriousness of favoritism. Understand that your faith is real and active and living when you begin to lose your sense of prejudices, your sense of partiality, your sense of favoring 
status and race and people over another. It, you begin, your faith is real when you see every person the same as a unique creation of Jesus Christ. And I don't care if you're a millionaire walking in this church or if you're penniless walking in this church, you are valued the same in God's eyes. And his people treat you the same. He says, it's serious. In fact, I want you to understand, if you break this, you are something, you're breaking something core to who God is. His presence cannot be compatible with people who are partial. You're like, oh, how in the world do I do this? And he reminds us that people who have received the mercy of Jesus Christ become people who see things through the lens of mercy. And I love this phrase. Our conformity to the royal law may not be perfect. The, the language here is a present active indicative. It's a, it's a habit of partiality. It's just who I am. I'm a snob. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm not approachable. I hear that all the, see that all the time. It's the biggest turnoff. Can I tell you what? As Christian people, we should be approachable. Well, it's not my personality. Well, then let Jesus change you. Amen? I get that you might not be Mr. Uh, uh, Sanguine, the life of the party. But Jesus' people are always approachable. They always smile. They always are welcoming, inviting to everybody. They say, hey, how you doing? I care. I am. Not like, man, oh, that's another story. I could get on a soapbox here. He says, listen, this habit of partiality needs to be broken in your life. Because he's talking to brothers and sisters. He said, but I want to remind you that as you receive the mercy of Jesus into your life and you begin to live merciful, I love this phrase, our conformity to the royal law may not be perfect, but our merciful attitude and actions will count as evidence of the presence of Christ within us. And it is on the basis of our union with the one who perfectly fulfilled the law that we have confidence. Jesus, help me not to be partial, to show favoritism. I see where that could so easily come out in my life. And in fact, Lord, I see where maybe I, I did that this week. Forgive me. On the basis of who you are and what you have done and the salvation you have provided and the mercy and love you've given to me, I ask your forgiveness and I continue to ask for a merciful attitude and mindset, not a judgmental one. Well, they're not this social class. They're not from this financial structure. They're not, it's amazing, my kids already are seeing it in school to listen to them. The cool kids, the other kids, telling my kids, you're not one of any group. You treat everybody the same. He says, I begin to see without judgment, but with mercy. It gives evidence to the Holy Spirit that's in my life. And although I might not be perfect in this, he's breaking these tendencies, this lifestyle in me. And as he is doing that, as I am merciful, 
see people through eyes of mercy equal the same. It's the evidence of faith that's acting, that's real, that's alive. And so I just invite you to stand this morning. And my prayer for you as we go is this. Our Father, I know we don't see ourselves as prejudiced, partial people. And I don't believe that we are. But yet as you open my heart this week, I have seen areas where I have a tendency to go there, where I have treated somebody different than somebody else. And that wasn't Jesus. That's not how Jesus acted. And in fact, what shows a, a faith that's active and alive and transformed is when I can get to a point to treat everybody equally, to value everybody equally. This is a huge indicator of the evidence of a living Christ in me because he is God who is impartial, is no respecter of persons, who has offered grace to each and every person the same and who sees all of us as equal creations. Lord, drive any kind of favoritism from my heart, from our hearts. Make us a shining beacon and light to the world around us because you know what? Those people, they just treat everybody the same. They're not some kind of club for this or that. They are welcoming, hospitable, inviting to every single person, rich or poor. Doesn't matter. Make us like you in this way. Show our faith to be alive and active. Chase away the systems and the thinkings of this world. Cause us to be the kingdom. Pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go into this week and treat everybody the same. Everybody you see. Be Jesus. Model the image of God who is not a respecter of persons.